What's good, Mission Church? You alive? You well this morning? You feel good? Cool. If you didn't, that'd be awkward, huh? Yeah. No, I feel terrible. No, that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I'm what I would call the black cousin of this church. I show up and unexpected times and eat all the food you know what I mean it's uh, it is what it is no but I'm so excited to be in the presence of the Lord with you all um anybody thankful for your worship team very good very good and uh before I even start preaching uh, I got to give honor where honor is due um this is a more of a get to than a have to but it's something I believe is required biblically um because I think at times um we need someone else to come in and tell us how good we got it you know what I mean? And I'll be that dude who walks in and tell you how blessed this church is to have pastors and leaders and volunteers. It's very unique what's happening in Mission Church. I heard y'all were had nearly a thousand people on Easter Sunday. Y'all were just blowing up, only a year old, just absolutely killing it. And what God's doing in Walnut Creek and beyond through your work is special. And whenever God wants to bring forth his, his work in and through the earth, he always chooses a man or a woman to do it. One of the reasons why I believe he does that is because in the book of Genesis, it says that God gave man sovereign rulership, dominion over the earth. And whether we know it or not, as Christians and as sons and daughters of God, we are called to have sovereign rulership over the earth in the same way that God has sovereign rulership over our lives. And seeing God's kingdom expand in and throughout the Bay Area is something that is unique. And one of the primary reasons why is because whether you know it or not, you're in one of the most unchurched regions in the United States of America. 96% of the people where we are do not go to church. And so what's happening here is extraordinary. And so I want to take a moment and honor my big white brother, uh, Pastor Tyler, my dude. Pastors Tyler and Rachel are absolutely unreal. And, uh, and, and I just want to encourage you to receive them well receive them well. It says in the Bible that when you receive the prophet, you get the prophet's reward. And when you receive the fullness of who someone is, especially your pastors, what you do is you unlock something in them and get full access to all that is in them. I've preached at a lot of places and there's a terrible feeling when you're preaching and people are just looking at you. You know what I mean? And it's like, they don't really want you there. You know, they're, 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 you're like, you're preaching. You're like, man, just remind your face that you're happy. And it's even worse when you're preaching at your home base and you don't feel fully appreciated. So can we just take a moment, even though they're not here, just to give a hand to your lovely pastors who are pioneering something in the Bay Area that is unique. Cool, cool, ka-choo. Um, uh, is Caleb here? Caleb, what up, bro? I got a word for you. I tend to lean in the prophetic a little bit. And, and uh, as you were talking, man, I, I just kept thinking about your name, Caleb. I just kept thinking about your name. And I, I thought about that that passage, obviously, where Joshua, Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land. I'm sure you've heard it, bro. <laughs> where they, they're going to the promised land before, and they're the two gangsters out of the 12. You know, it's awesome. But uh, the, the word that, that the Holy Spirit, I believe, kept attaching to your name is the word forerunner. I haven't thought about that word in a long time, the word forerunner. And, and what forerunners were in, in ancient Eastern, Middle Eastern culture is they were men that would go before kings to create a path where there wasn't one. And so what they would do before the king would pass in an area, they would go and they would create a path and pioneer a path where there wasn't one. So they would clear brush and they would clear logs and they would they would work the hard ground. So when the king came through, it was easy for him to be recognized and not hidden. And, and I really believe that, that that's what you do in the spiritual realm, my brother. Uh, you create a pathway for the king of glory to come in and i just want to encourage you my man that uh 
I just want to encourage you that you do that. You do that incredibly well. You, you create a pathway for the king of glory to come in. And I pray just an abundance of even more of that mentality in you and your family. And that God will continue to push that agenda forward. Because uh, part of the reason why we had the worship experience that we had uh, is because you were creating a path for him to come in. And sometimes that can be hard ground. Sometimes that takes work. And sometimes it's, 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 it's work in the, the ground and the soil. But man, you tread well. And so I just want to thank you for who you are. You're a forerunner. And you're creating a, a, a pathway for the king's return. <laughs> the king's return. There were men and women who, who were forerunners to him coming, and you're a forerunner to him returning. So I don't know you, Will, but I love you, bro. And your Yeezys were a distraction. Anyway, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to dive into the word of God. Um, uh, for those who don't know me, I'm going to preach it like I feel it. I, I come from Pentecostal roots, for those who don't know. If you don't know what that is, it's, it's a little crazy. You know what I mean? I come from the churches where where, where the, the ladies will be joining us in worship with their tambourines. You know what I mean? So you would just hear a random sound and you would just see tambourines around you. I'm from, I'm from that church. It could get a little bit crazy, but we're going to have fun in the presence of the Lord together. If something is good, you can say preach. You can say mm, mm, mm. You can stand up if you want to. You could even take a lap if you want to. I won't judge you. Your neighbor might get scared. You won't freak me out. Um, I, I'll be completely fine with that. But, but I really do believe the church should be enjoyed and not endured and I believe that God put a message on my heart specifically for you especially in light of of your guys' small groups your guys' mission groups launching which is a very very big deal I've never been more aware of how desperately I need people um I'm realizing that, that, and like truly, like this is a revelation I'm coming to this year. I've been pastoring for six years. I've never been more aware of how much I need people. And I need the God that is in people, and people need the God that is within me. In the book of Psalms, David says, I will magnify the Lord. And what happens with the process of magnification is you're able to see something more closer than you actually can because you're seeing it through the right lens. And what's amazing is that David invites people in that song to magnify God. He says, come magnify the Lord with me because God is so big and God is so broad and God is so expansive that our human mind cannot fully comprehend him. And when we come into contact with each other as a community, we're able to see parts of God that we cannot see without that person, without that person's experience and love lens of who God is. So I want to encourage y'all to get involved in missions group and to, to get around people who love God. Cause, cause not only do you need people, but I feel like someone needs to hear this right now. People need you. People need God in you. And God tends to use the people who feel the least qualified to do the greatest things. And so if you're here and you feel like you have nothing to offer, the devil is a liar. Get behind me, Satan. You have so much that you bring to the table in Jesus name. So I pray you draw, you join a mission group and you get on mission. Amen. All right, let's get to it. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? That's my custom, if that's okay. I forgot to do it in first service. Whoops. <laughs> Going to be reading out of Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, a very famous passage about a rich, young ruler. What a guy. Rich, young, and had authority. 99 problems. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a, a, ran, a, man, a, ran, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He said, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Don't defraud and honor your mom and your daddy. And he said to him, Teacher, I have done all of these things. And I've kept all these things from my youth. 
Man, what would it look like if some of y'all's kids, you need to read this passage over your children. Honor your mom and your daddy. I've kept it, mom and dad. No, you haven't. You're bad. And Jesus, after he said these things, what he did is it did is he was looking at him. He loved him and he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Mm. And come follow me. What a wonderful invitation. But Jesus tends to go past religion and he gets straight into relationship. Jesus tends to go past the masks that we wear and gets past our filters and gets to the reality of where we are. And uh, money was an issue for this young ruler. And so when Jesus said that, his response was he was disheartened by the saying and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Mission Church, I want to speak to you guys from the topic this morning. Um, what must I do? What must I do? Would you guys pray with me? Uh, Holy Spirit, have your way. I just ask humbly, God, that you would use me. You said in your word that the grass withers in the flower phase, but your word will never pass away. So let it come forth with power boldness and authority. Let it break yokes and chains and let it be a double-edged sword that goes inside of us and affects our outward expressions in Jesus' name. Father, I'm not enough unless you come. So meet us here again. Do what only you could do. And Father, we would be remiss if we didn't pray a blessing over the Oakland Raiders. And all God's people said, amen. Let No, don't do that. Let it be done. High five a couple people as you take a seat. Don't be salty. Come on, people. We're we're, we're, we're all, we're all, go Broncos. Whoa, the devil is a liar. My gosh. Sorry. Right, <laughs> you know, speaking of football, I, I do have a football background. I'm from Southern California, from the Inland Empire, Corona, California, IE in the building. Uh, and, and, and I actually played uh, in high school and, and ended up getting a scholarship to San Jose State University to, to play there for a season before God radically called me into ministry. Um, but before that, I, I had two, before I got to college, I had two major knee surgeries. I tore my ACL actually in both knees. The good old anterior cruciate ligament did not hold up to its standard. And so I, I had to, I had to go into surgery twice in high school. It was pretty hard, but by the grace of God, I was able to make it to San Jose State and pl- still play the game that I love before I transitioned into ministry. But I don't know if any of you guys have experienced this. Has anybody ever had an MRI before? You got an MRI? Can we talk about how obnoxious that experience is? Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Well, the, an MRI, what it is, is it's magnetic resonance imaging. And, and, and the thing about, you know, the muscles and the ligaments and certain parts of your body, it can't be seen with an x-ray. And so what you do is they put you into this little tube, right? And if you're claustrophobic, my gosh. Okay. So they put you into this little tube and you have to lay still. And for about 15 minutes, you hear the most obnoxious sound that somehow bring out an image inside of your knee or whatever body part you're getting looked at. It sounds like orangutans and God, this is terrible, right? And so they put me in this little tube and, uh, and, and long story short, it, all it really is there to do is to confirm that there actually is an issue in my knee. And I've gotten three MRIs and all three times it has confirmed that I have an ACL problem. Yes, people, three times. I tore my ACL boxing nine months ago and I'm having surgery again in October. Yep, it's the same old sad song. Keep your boy in prayer. So um, I, I say all that to say that, that, that with an MRI, um, I, I've never gotten an MRI and come out healed. 
I've never gotten an MRI and come out differently than how I entered into it. You know what I mean? Because all an MRI does is it confirms that there's actually a problem in my knee and it specifically tells me what that problem is. Again, I've never gone into an MRI and come out differently. I've always come the same way that I entered in when I did when I entered out. I think that makes sense. Hopefully, uh, grammatical errors. God knows my heart. So I've always come out the same. And what I want us to know is that, that God's laws, God's rules, and God's regulations are like magnetic resonance imaging on our souls. What his laws do is they just tell us and they confirm in us that we got problems. It confirms that we lust, that we have greed, that we have pride, that we have issues, that we lean towards doing the wrong thing. God's laws, all they have the ability to do is to confirm that me and you have a problem. Is anybody encouraged on Sunday morning? God's laws, all they do is confirm that me and you have an issue, that we have weaknesses, that we have frailties, that we don't have the ability ability to measure up to the standard of almighty God. But what I want to submit to every single one of us is something that we can oftentimes forget in our journey in faith. God's laws, God's rules, and God's regulations, much like the MRI, do not have the ability to heal us. It does not have the ability to fix us. It does not have the ability to make us new. Why? Jesus did not come and die for behavior modification, but he came for heart transformation because Jesus know if he got your heart then your behavior would follow and sometimes the temptation on the journey in our faith is to focus on working rather than being and the problem with working is oftentimes we think that we work we need to work in order to be approved when we've already been approved and suddenly the church can become a fat comparison place where everybody is focusing on their spiritual health uh, everybody's focusing on their spiritual health and comparing sins to each other and struggles to each other without realizing that we all have issues and oftentimes the people who don't act like they have issues have the most issues <laughs> we, we all got stuff and the only person that can heal us and enable us and empower us in Jesus name it's Jesus. It's his performance, his message, his grace, and his story that enable us to be what we can never be on our own. And what we see in this passage is a young man who's forgetting that. We see a young man who, who is, his, he's young, he has authority, and he's got money. He's got moolah, he's got cash, he's doing well. But at some point, he probably heard Jesus preach and something happened inside of his heart that he probably couldn't fully explain. I love Luke 24. There's a man by the name of Cleopas who goes on a seven mile journey with Jesus and his friend is with him. His friend is in name, but Jesus disappears, then reappears, then disappears again. Man, only Jesus, you know, he's disappearing and reappearing. And on the last time that he disappears for good, Cleopas looks at his friend and he describes his experience with Jesus so beautifully. He says, did our hearts not burn within us when he opened up our eyes to see the scriptures? I, I don't know if you guys have experienced that where a man is talking, maybe a short black one. He's, he's, he's talking 
And, and it's so far beyond the words that are being spoken, but something is happening within you that you can't fully explain. I love what Bishop T.D. Jake says. He says, you know, if, 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 if um, what does he say? Oh, gosh, come back, Bishop. Okay. I love what Bishop T.D. Jake says. He says, if God's word is a magnet, then we are the metal. It's this idea that we are like pulled towards the word of God. And it's this force that's happening within us. And it's this burning sensation that's beautiful and we can't explain. And it's driven by passion and emotion in our mentality. It's unreal. And this young, this young ruler experienced that. He, he heard Jesus speak and he was educated and he was smart. And it looked like he had it all on paper. But what he needs to do after he hears him is something that's kind of weird. The rich young ruler suddenly begins to run. To catch up to him. Now that, that might not seem like a big deal to me and you, but in, but in ancient Jewish culture, men didn't run. Because if you ran, that was childlike. But we see the, the rich young ruler, one of the first observations we see is, man, he's a passionate dude. He's a passionate young man. And so he chases after Jesus so he can talk to him. Mission Church, I just want to say to you, don't lose your passion for Jesus. Don't be too good to run. You know what I mean? Don't, don't lose your passion. And, and, and something I know about passion that is that it's attractive. Like, like, have you ever heard somebody tell you about something that they're doing and you never wanted to do it, but they talk about it so passionately that you want to do it? Like recently, my sister, she's like, Chase, oh my gosh. Like, Chase, you don't even know. Like, I've been juicing. I'm like, you've been doing steroids, girl? You know, she, she was like, she's like, no, you're so stupid. She's like, no, I've been, I've been juicing. I'm like, what do you mean you've been juicing? She's like, I got myself a juicer. I'm juicing avocados. I'm juicing plums. I'm juicing oranges. I'm just pine. I'm just juicing. I'm juicing prunes. I was like, prunes? Moment of silence for prunes. Okay, so she was just juicing, but... Her passion was so attractive that I thought about it. Now, I didn't do it, but I thought about it. Passion is attractive. You know, recently, we, we, uh, my, my young adults group, we, we raised $60,000 a couple of months ago. And our goal was 50, only God. We raised $60,000 a couple of months ago. And, and we wanted to put on a creative catalytic event right in the heart of downtown San Jose. So what we did is we rented out the Center for the Performing Arts. It's an auditorium that seats, seats nearly 3,000 people, major, major artists and productions and operas and, and, and plays have been put on in this auditorium. And we're like, what we're going to do is we're going to rent it out. We're going to invite everybody to a free event. We're going to brand the city. And in faith, we're going to believe that the gospel was going to be creatively displayed through lighting, through media, through spoken word, through songs. It was just crazy. It took over 300 volunteers to do this. And we were just inviting people in off the streets. It was unreal. We saw 1,800 people show up. 55 people got saved. But I want to tell you about, about, about that's a really big deal. Now, like, that's all. I thought y'all would be more excited, but that's okay. No, don't fake it. Don't fake it. Okay. 55 people got saved. I, and y'all, I give altar calls. I'm not going to do it today because I don't want to scare you. You know, I want you to come back next week and hear Pastor Tyler. But I give altar calls every week and I invite people to publicly declare their faith. And 55 people came forward and we got to connect with them, give them Bibles, give them resources, and by the grace of God, get them plugged into the local church, which is the hope of the world. So, but, but what I want to talk about is a dude who got saved that night. A dude got saved that night because we had a team, the best volunteers ever. We had a team of 70 uh, uh first impression people where they were outside the entire night, not even able to see the production. They were just outside the entire day from 5 p.m. all the way to 10 o'clock when the event, event ended, still inviting people to see the production. 
So we had like over 100 people walk into the production as it was happening. It was off the chain because they were just going throughout the streets on those little scooters that you can pay for. You know what I mean? You guys, you guys see those downtown? Do they have those in Walnut Creek? Do they? No, no. Okay. Well, okay. God's good. Kept up. In San Jose, they were just driving around and they're going up to people. And this one dude who was with his friends, who was with his friends, he ended up uh, coming into contact with one of our first impressions people, Michelle and Amy. And they're like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I, he probably had the wrong motives. To be honest, he's like, what y'all doing? You know what I mean? And, and, and they're like, you know, we were going to this amazing, amazing thing at the CPA. It's a free event. Do you want to come? And this young man was so drawn to the passion of these young ladies that he ended up going into the CPA and giving his life to Jesus. Passion, passion is attractive. So Mission Church, don't hide your passion. Don't hide your passion about Jesus in your work. Don't hide your passion about Jesus in your families. It says in the Bible that the enemy is the prince of the air, that he wants to rule and reign over the atmosphere. But when we take the breath that God has given us from the very beginning and we begin to speak it out into the atmosphere, things begin to shift and things begin to break in Jesus' name in ways that only he could do. So we see the rich young ruler with a lot of passion. But how many know that you could be very passionate but very ignorant? No, okay, you can be. And what happens with, with this rich young ruler, imagine, I want you to see it. I had a Bible professor who said you must read the Bible through imaginative lenses while also partnering it with the lenses of reality. I want us to imagine a little bit this rich young ruler in some long robe, you know, and he's just running. And, and he gets to Jesus and he's probably like, Whew. and she's like, catch your breath. Here, let me give it to you. <laughs> you know, and imaginative that's how I read the Bible and, and he's just and he says this he says Whoa, I was really good what you said um good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life oh how wrong the rich young ruler was Oh, how unaware the rich young ruler was. What must I do? Well, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? As if eternal life has anything to do with the rich young ruler. Now, that that didn't get me about this passage, though. Does anybody ever read the Bible and Jesus responds in ways that you just don't get? No? Yeah, I do. I, I, it happens often. Like, sometimes Jesus will say things. I'm like, Jesus, I don't get it. And, 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 and right here in, in verse 18, Jesus' response really threw me for a loop, y'all. led to, like, literally a couple hours of really studying and reading different commentaries and listening to scholars who are way smarter than me and their perspective on the passage. And Jesus' response to, to the rich young ruler is very, very strange. Jesus says, after he says that to him, he's like, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now that's really weird because Jesus is God. So I'm like, why are you knocking your Godship? Don't understand. John chapter one is very, very clear. And all the gospels point to literally this pitch of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John trying to get people to understand that Jesus, God, Jesus being God is what got him crucified. So when I read this, it's a little bit confusing. He's like, he's like, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. 
John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why is Jesus in this passage looking at the rich young ruler and saying, why are you calling me good? Only God is good when Jesus is God. A man by the name of Dr. Timothy Keller, who is a spiritual gangster, Dr. Timothy Keller had an amazing take on this passage that I want to share with you. His perspective on this passage and his interpretation of the, on this passage was very, very simple, but very, very profound. What he was saying is he was like the teacher was calling Jesus something that he didn't actually believe about Jesus. He was calling Jesus God, but didn't believe that Jesus was God. And what you believe about God, he will be for you. What you believe about God he will be for you. Now, theologically, there are three moments in the Gospels where Jesus is marveled. Three moments where he's marveled. Now, that word marveled is there are three moments where Jesus is mind blown, where Jesus is like, whoa, huh, where he's literally marveled within his mind, his will and his emotions, marveled in all of what's taking place. The three moments all have to do with faith. Two are the lack of faith, and one is the abundance of faith. Again, Jesus is marveled three times in Scripture. It all has to do with faith. Twice is the lack of faith, and one time is the abundance of faith. The first time Jesus is marveled, it's in a very, very negative way. Jesus is in his hometown. He's coming on the scene and stepping into his ministry. He's in downtown Nazareth at the temple. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah. He begins to read a passage as he reads it. Literally, it says at the end, at the end when he read it, he decrees and declares to a group of probably about 100 people who were there at temple that he is the fulfillment of that scripture. He's like, this passage is about me. I'm here, people. I'm on the scene. Do you see me? I've showed up. And then all the people who were there, what happens is something that's intriguing. They're marvel like, whoa, he has a lot of authority. Whoa, he sounds really good. But then suddenly they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Is this not Jesus, the son of Mary? In other words, what they were saying, is this not Jesus, the one who was the product of an affair? Because they didn't believe, obviously, that the Holy Spirit birthed Jesus, much like me and you probably wouldn't. Like if you walked up to me after the service, one of you lovely ladies, and you're like, the Spirit did it, I'd be like, <laughs> it's a fair, It's a fair assessment. And what happens is Jesus is only able to do a few miracles there, and he's marveling. He's like, man, a prophet has no place in his hometown. In other words, Jesus was marveled at the lack of faith. And because there was such a strong lack of faith, God can, can only do so much amongst those people. Now, what I want to really, really make very clear here is there, is, there, are those, there are some very, very unhealthy biblical teachers that are in the world, okay? They're, they're very, very unhealthy. And there's this word of faith movement that is sparked in the Western world. You can always recognize the word of faith movement when someone is on TV in a suit, and they say, let me tell you about the $1,000 seed. No. Not biblical. But because there is, there's this weird movement in faith, men and women and sons and daughters are afraid to have faith. And this is a faith church. 
This church was planted out of faith. I mean, Pastor Tyler and Rachel moved here in faith, knowing that revival could come to a city and a region. If that's not faith, I don't know what is. And what we have to determine as men and women and sons and daughters, are, are we, what we have to determine is, are we going to lean towards faith or are we going to lack faith? Now, the second time that Jesus is marveled is at the abundance of faith. A Roman centurion, a man who wasn't even Jewish, a man who wasn't even allowed to go into temple, a man who was a warrior who had authority over hundreds of men, walks up to Jesus on a random day and he says to Jesus, paraphrase, he's like, look, my servant is sick. He's very sick, and I, I, I need you to heal him. And Jesus says, cool, take me to him. Then the Roman centurion blows the mind of the son. He's like, no, 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 I, I, that's the thing. I don't need you to go. I, I don't need you to come. In the same way that I give orders to my men, and I tell them to go here, and they go, or I tell them to stay, and they stay, give the order that my servant will be healed, and he'll be healed. And Jesus was like, Jesus was like, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And Jesus, what, gave the word. And at the very time that the word was given, they confirmed later that that was the moment that the servant was healed. Jesus has marveled at the lack of faith and he's marveled at the abundance of faith. Where do you stand this morning? When circumstances happen, do you lean towards faith or do you lack faith? Because you can always tell where your faith stands, not when the weather is still, but in the storms. That's why the Bible says that a wise man builds his house upon the rock. Because the winds and the waves, they will come. The wind, it will blow. But when it does, you will know what you are anchored on and what you are built on. And that is Jesus. And then I want to encourage some of you that maybe the circumstances that are in your life, you've been praying for them to change, but maybe God has sent you those circumstances so that you might be changed before they're changed. Because God always works from the inside out and not the outside. And salvation always starts from the inside and it affects us on the outside. And there is something about a man or a woman of God who is literally so anchored in their mind, their will, and their emotions, and they're changed internally while nothing is changing externally. Sometimes the greatest miracle is the sheer fact that nothing around you is changing on the outside, but everything within you is anchored on the inside. Ooh, I feel like preaching to y'all this morning. There is just something about that. Sometimes that is the greatest miracle. My grandmother uh, passed away from cancer uh, about eight years ago. It was very, very confusing for all of us as a family. She was a patriarch. She went to over 70 different countries in her lifetime and did missions. Literally, she had people praying for her on a prayer chain all throughout the United States of America and even all around the world where people were literally praying every hour around the clock for her healing. And she died from cancer. And I got to see my grandma two days before she passed. I walked into her room, one of 33 grandkids. I was her favorite. We both knew it. And I walked in. <laughs> Tears drenching down my face, my face, thinking I needed to comfort my grandma when in reality she was going to comfort me because she knew her God. And she looked at me, she said, baby, it ain't over, number one. I loved her. She said, she said baby, it ain't over. But if I die, I want to leave you with this. And she began to sing to me. Great is thy faithfulness. 
Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness to me. <laughs> y'all should have seen me. Some of y'all are crying right now. You should have seen me. <laughs> Weeping. Why? Because the greatest miracle in that moment was the ever-present help in time of need that was manifesting itself in my grandmother. And two days later, she passed into glory. Men and women of God, there is just something about that when you know who he is. And I pray in Jesus' name that Mission Church would be a place where you have a lean towards faith. Let it be so. Well, we're about three verses in and I got about eight minutes left. So we're going we're gonna to keep going. Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We talked about that a little bit. Transition to verse 19. And he ends up, he ends up, um, he ends up telling the young man exactly what the young man felt like he was doing. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your mom and your daddy. And this is what, this is what the, the, the rich young ruler says. He says, teacher, I, I've kept all these from my youth. In other words, I'm, I'm doing all these things, but I'm, I'm still empty. I'm dotting my eyes. I'm crossing my teeth. Some of y'all, I'm going to church. I'm tithing. I'm, I'm doing everything I know to do, but, but, I'm, but I'm still empty. You know, the church without Jesus is just a gathering. Just some people coming together. He's like, I'm doing everything I know to do, I've done those things. And then what Jesus does is something that is amazing. He's like, cool, what we're going to do is we're going to go past religion. We're going to go past your performance. And I'm going to look into the depths of your heart. And this is what Jesus does. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's a very big deal. That word looking in the original language is Jesus looking at him in a way that only he can look at him. Looking at him as God. Looking at him from the perspective, not only, not only from the perspective of where he currently is, but also from the perspective of where he has been in his lifetime he's looking at him from the perspective where he's like I knew you before you were even conceived in your mother's womb I formed you and I designed you and I created you in my image fearfully and wonderfully he looked into the depths of his soul and what did he do he loved him he's like yeah you've been performing real well but let me tell you what you're not doing can the worship team come up if that's okay and you guys can underscore to make it more spiritual it always helps he said, yeah, you're doing all that, but you lack one thing. You lack one thing. Now I'm going to become God over your life. Now I'm going to become the Lord over your life. Now I'm going to put myself in my proper place. He's like, yeah, you lack one thing. Um, go sell all that you have and give the poor and you have treasures in heaven and come follow me. And the response of the rich young ruler is he's disheartened by the saying. And he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Do you know the temptation for, for you and I as we grow in God? The temptation for you and I as we grow in God is we forget that grace not only saves us, but we forget that grace keeps us. And, and somewhere, and I don't know why it happens, it happens to me all the time. Somewhere, somewhere along the way, 
for whatever reason, we, we get away from the essence, the glory, and the majesty of the gospel. For, for whatever reason, along the way, we, we naturally and organically, we begin to grow. We begin to break addictions. We begin to, we begin to break habits. God's love is so beautiful that he loves us right where we are, but he loves us enough not to keep us there. So we, be, we begin to progress. Caleb said it brilliantly, and it was stunning. He's like, man, sometimes you just got to look back on the journey. Look how, look how much God has done, how far we've come on this journey with the Lord. And so suddenly we, we start this journey. Remember the moment where you said yes? I was 18 and a half where I said yes fully. And we, we begin that journey of just walking with God, and we begin to become more disciplined. We begin to read our words. We begin to get into community. We begin to grow. We begin to make progress. But, but in the midst of that, we still have issues. We still have tendencies. And what we begin to do at times is we begin to resume God. We begin to give him our resume. God, but I'm going to church. I'm, I'm doing all these things. I'm, I'm performing. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. And the rich young ruler is like, I've been doing a lot. And Jesus goes past that and says, you're so broken without me. You got a greed problem, man of God. You're more stuck to your money and your possessions. That's where you're getting your value from. And God is so amazing at that. He'll go right to the heart of where you are during worship, during prayer, during community groups. As we're, as we're listening to the word, he'll just, he'll go past our religious veil and cloak and meet us right where we are and say, where are you really at? Where are you? He's like, yeah, you've been doing all that and I, and I'm, and I love you and I'm proud of you. But you, you got this problem going on in your life that only I can change. And for some reason, I don't know why. We forget that the very thing that got us is the very thing that's always going to keep us. Confession, honesty, vulnerability, and truth. Maybe a part of it is like platforms. Like we really care what other people think. We have a platform now. We're leading a small group. We're, we're leading worship. We're, we're serving at a high capacity now. All of a sudden, we think that we can be the savior of people, and people need to look to us as a standard in order to be taken care of. Whoa, that's a lot of pressure. You know who does it the most? Pastors. I wish pastors would be so much more vulnerable. Like for real. So much more vulnerable. Because we all are on the same plane. Let me explain. When I went to, when I went to college at San Jose State University, I, I wasn't a very good student. I would never say it to my group, but I'll say it to you. C's get degrees, people. It really does. And I, I just wasn't a very good student. I would try, but I wasn't a very good student. And in college, I was taking a business course with, with a professor named Mr. Lawson. Mr. Lawson was a very, very brilliant man. I knew he was brilliant because the first time I heard him give a 45-minute lecture, I understood maybe about three sentences because his vocabulary was so expanded. He was the person that I found out what the word idiosyncrasies meant. I walked up. I said, what's an idiosyncrasies? He's like, oh, man, it's just the details. I was like, why don't you just use the word details? <laughs> very, very great professor, very, very great man. I remember one time uh, we took an online test and we came back and he gave us the grade while we were in class and we all had our laptops out 
And y'all, I studied for this test. I promise you, I really did my best. Like for I studied, and it popped up. I opened up my grade, D minus, and I was like, "Woo, earned that." Did my best. And then he walked up and said one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. He was like, "You know, you know, class. A lot of you struggled on that test. Felt like he looked at me, not positive though. He was like, a lot of you struggled on that test. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna do something that's called the curve." I was like, "The curve." He's like, yes. So I, I looked at my neighbor and I, uh, my, my classmate and I was like, bro, what's a curve? He's like, you never heard a curve? I'm like, no, what's a curve? He's like, a curve is where they take the best grade in the class and everybody gets that grade. I was like, are you serious? He was like, yeah, y'all, I almost broke out into a praise break. Just... I was like, what? And you know what's funny? The majority of the class was like, whoo. People who weren't even saved pointing to heaven. But, <laughs> but there was a kid in the, <laughs> there was a kid who was in the front row to the right. And I looked over at him and I knew he was the one who did well on the test. You wanna know how I know his face? Everybody else was relieved. He was just like. I was like, oh, that's the one who got, got a good grade. And he got the highest grade. He got a 90% A minus on the test. He got the highest grade. And everybody else got to have got to have what he had. Everybody else who did terrible on the terrible on the test earned what he had instantaneously. I promise y'all, I was so obnoxious, still am low-key. I walked up to the class, put my arm around him, like, brother, I know it was you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And he was he kind of started laughing a little bit, and it was a good conversation. But but sometimes. That's the temptation in the church. The temptation is you working out the fact that people who don't do what you do have what you have. That men and women of God who still struggle in lust, who still struggle in serving, who still struggle with their anxiety and their depression, who still go to the clubs, who still have an alcohol problem, every single time that they claim the name of Jesus, they biblically and theologically have all that you have. And sometimes I've been the kid in the front row who's sucking his teeth like, how does everybody have what I have? But you know the problem with that perspective is, I'm not the standard. You know what the problem with that perspective is? We're not the hero. We're not the one who got 100%. Romans 3.23 is very clear. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are in the all category. Psalms is very, very clear where David is prophetically speaking into the salvation that is to come for all of humanity. Men have tried to men have tried to raise themselves to the standard, but none have been able to do a comma, no comma, not one. There is not one person who is able to have perfection before God. Because what I want us to understand is that God's standard is 100% where you fail. And only Jesus, him and him alone, him all by himself, as the black church would say it. Jesus and him and him alone. He's the one who is the standard. And sometimes I want people, I want people to get what I got while forgetting that all I got is because of the man who was perfect on the test.
So maybe you're a 90% in the kingdom. Maybe you're 95%. Maybe, maybe your sin is, is more, and I pray for everyone in Jesus' name, maybe you're sinning less than you ever have. But you know what's going to bring revival to this region and beyond prophetically over you, men and women of God? You know what's going to transform your co-workers? You know what's going to transform family members? You know what's going to break generational curses? You know what's going to break chains, chains of bondages over the lives of people? Do you know what's going to transform hearts and renew mind and bring anchors to the souls of men and women all throughout this city who need to know Jesus? The sheer fact that they can have what you have in a moment of confession and belief. It is ridiculous. It is scandalous. It is not fair for any one of us. But this rich young ruler is just like me and you. He forgot the sheer fact that it's not about anything he can do, but all about what Jesus was going to do for his salvation. And so for us, may we be the church, may we be the community of God that says, I've all I need to do is receive what's already been done. And the reason why mission groups are so important is because sometimes you need people to remind you that you're crazy. I'm very serious. I got about seven dudes in my life. Lucky number seven, I got my boys in my life. Well, they will call me on my stuff. And they'll be like, you're off, big dog. And they don't care what I think. They don't care that I'm a pastor. They're like, you're a man. You're a sinner. <laughs> You got issues. You know how real this is, guys? I'm just going to let you know. Last story, I promise you how real this is. Because it manifests itself in little ways. About a year ago, I was preaching a sermon. And the week before, my right-hand man, Pastor Tim Coots, he's a fire spitter. He got in the pulpit and he was preaching. And y'all, we have a very, very loud, expressive congregation. Like, y'all are pretty loud. But if you come to encounter, people are standing up. People are shouting me down. People are just moving. Just moving. I mean, it's a very energetic atmosphere. And I remember when Pastor Tim spoke, I mean, it was cracking. He brought a fire word. And he was preaching so good. And the following week, I got in the saddle. And I preached the majority of the time, but, but I was preaching and I felt like my congregation wasn't responding very well. And somewhere as I was preaching the message, I started thinking in my head, I was like, these fools. Are they going to shout Pastor Tim down? Are they going to shout their own pastor down? So I get, started, started getting insecure in my head. And you know, I got so insecure. And I got so in my flesh while I was preaching that I looked at my congregation passively, acting like I was joking, but I wasn't. And I was like, oh, so y'all going to shout for Pastor Tim, but y'all not going to shout for Pastor Chase? And they kind of looked like you, like, oh. And then they started, like, shouting awkwardly, like, ah, 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 And I just kept preaching, and God used it in the midst of my flesh. And I remember getting in the car, driving home, not even thinking about it at all. About 10.30, 10.45 at night, I'm driving home and all of a sudden my phone vibrates and I see the name Trey Sales, best friend. I pick up my phone, I'm like, hey, what's up, big dog? He's like, hey, what's good, boy? I'm like, man, chillin', boy, what you want? Yeah. He's like, hey, man, tonight was really good. Chase, you did well. I was like, appreciate that, bro. He's like, yeah, man, but I got to ask you a question. I was like, yeah, what's up? He was like, you know, man, I felt like you had a, I've known you for a long time. And again, the message was great, but I felt like you had a really, really, really insecure moment, man. Like, were you feeling insecure about the fact that, you know, that the congregation wasn't shouting you down and they shouted down Pastor Tim last week? And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, man, I was super insecure. You know what he did? 
He's like, oh, man of God, let me remind you. That's not why you got into this. You don't have to be insecure about thinking God has made you such a great preacher. You are called. You've been anointed by God. And if you live for the approval of men, you will die by their criticism. Don't forget who you are, bro. That's not you. And we need each other to be able to do that. And so many Christians are walking alone. And there's something beautiful about having a Jesus living inside of someone who will say, hey, don't forget that grace got you and grace will keep you. Don't forget about that grace. And I, I wonder if there's some people here this morning as we get ready to conclude where maybe you forgot that you could be honest. Maybe. Maybe.